May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus. Welcome back into the Lions 147 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. In just a moment, you'll hear from Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallen, my colleagues from the site, sat alongside them to watch this Penn State victory, 33 to 24 over Indiana, that we broke down quite a bit on our post-game edition. Daniel and I stuck around for a late session in Beaver Stadium following the, the win. Was not what we expected, surprisingly dramatic, uh, but they did pull it out. We, we went over kind of so, so, uh, some live feet of thought, I think, working our way through that matchup from the press box because when you cover a game like that that features the twists and turns and doesn't live up to your expectations at all it can take a little while to sink in and that's why it's always good to bring uh, us up to speed on these monday episodes we bring in mark brennan so let's get into it right now we will have a little bit of basketball discussion at the end of this episode because uh penn state hoops was on the court against an opponent on friday night daniel gallon was in attendance uh, we have some eval from that first look at a very different looking Nittany Lions squad from leadership all through the roster. But of course, we begin this week, a game week, which will end at Maryland with Penn State football talk. And Mark, we begin with you as usual on these Mondays. We all predicted a clobbering. We, we figured Penn State would right the ship. They got the win. They got to seven and one. But boy, was the pathway far different than any of us projected. Yeah, I think the thing that stands out to me you mentioned it, Tyler. Sometimes it's good to take a day or so and 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 step away from a game, but but even now, I have the same thoughts I had during that game. There there are alarm bells and sirens and flashing lights going off about this Penn State running game. I mean, the fact that they could only average three point one yards per carry, longest run of the day, twelve yards against that defense and I keep going back to this but I think it's important and it isn't meant as a knock on Rutgers but Rutgers rushed for 274 yards against this team and they threw for 39 so Indiana knew what was coming and yet you're not able to run the ball effectively against this defense we noted it was the third time this year that Penn State went up against a team that was ranked last in the Big Ten in rush defense at the time of the game. And the third time that Penn State, in terms of yardage, seriously underperformed what the opponent had been allowing. So I could look at everything else in that game. I could look at the defense being flat. You know what? They, they, that we, we probably should have seen that coming at some point as well as they've been playing all year. You're not going to play perfect the whole time. The passing game, you know, Aller throws his first interception. He finally gets the long ball. Great. You know, that's all tremendous. Uh, special teams, I thought, were, were, were good. I mean, they've just gotten better and better and better, so that's a positive. But to me, this ground game, I, I just don't know. I, I'm, I, I can't figure out. It's. I mean, it, it's got to be, you know, a couple of things. Number one, the offensive line and tight ends just aren't blocking as well as they were. I can't put any negativity toward Catron Allen because I think he is what he's always been, that bowling ball who's going to run through people, and I mean that in a positive way. But Nick Singleton just doesn't quite seem like the same back he was last year. And I think this far into the season, 
when his longest gain is what 20 yards I do think it's we're we have enough of a sample size to, to understand that this just isn't a fluke this running game is broken yeah, I mean, when Nick Singleton, it's pretty stark to look at those numbers. Last year, finishing at 6.8 yards per carry on 156 rush attempts. He's at 113 rush attempts right now. Um, so, you know, he's, he's going to exceed his carry total from his freshman year, assuming he stays on, on pace here, assuming he stays available. Uh, but he's at 4.1 yards per carry, which is a very average number. And we know that Nick Singleton is not a very average running back, former Gatorade Player of the Year nationally. Uh, the Big Ten freshman of the year last season. So that has uh, has been notable. There's no doubt. I think one thing I didn't go to enough in speaking about the ground game, I kind of regretted it. I don't think I gave Katron Allen enough respect or gave him enough due uh, during that postgame podcast. I talked about how he was a guy who got better as the game went along. But, I mean, he was key in, in the game tying drive, which was obviously very important for this team to get some momentum going. Uh, he was the guy they leaned on there. I think it was six, six touches, almost 40 yards. And then to kickstart that final possession of the game where Drew Aller is looking for something stable, something to hang on to in a moment of the rest when Beaver Stadium crowd is going quiet and everyone's bracing themselves for potential overtime or maybe another mistake from the offense. And what do they do? Uh, quick pass to, to Katron Allen. He picks up 11. Hand off to, to Katron Allen. He picks up 10. Very next play, Drew Aller lets it sail and you find Keandre Lambert-Smith. So, um, you know, I, 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 I'm agreeing with you, Mark, because we, we have such high expectations. But Ron Allen, with some of his runs, even some of those you know, five, six yarders, looked as good as we have seen him here in 2023. And actually, his 81 yards on the ground was his highest total in conference play uh, against the conference, uh, conference play since last season. I think he had more yards against Delaware going back to that matchup in early September. Um, where do you stand on this, Daniel? I mean, it, it, it's always so difficult to – Kind of do the autopsy from a from a ground game perspective because so much of what we see on on in live action what you can review on film if you don't know what the game plan was if you don't know what the assignments were from the offensive line standpoint from running back it's very difficult to earnestly parse through a a, a rush attack and figure out here's what went wrong we spent all 2021 slamming our heads against desks and brick walls trying to figure that stuff out we're not at that level i'm not putting it over there but again this was supposed to be a ground game um, and, and we're starting here on the podcast because Mark took it there. I didn't know where we'd start, but this was supposed to be a ground game that was going to be uh, you know, Drew Aller's uh, best friend, something that he could lean on in times of, 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 of duress and something that he could find a lot of balance with when this offense was clicking. And we talked about it uh, on, our, on our podcast in Beaver Stadium, Mark, when Daniel and I were breaking it down. It felt like they, they needed Drew Aller to go win the game at Ohio State rather than letting the ground game dictate things and, and and i know that's hard to do but it, you know, keep running it you talked about how Ohio state just kept running it kept running it even if it wasn't big chunks so daniel where do you stand here i mean 40 touches versus 20 touches is a big jump obviously they got the ball to these two guys but to not see the dominant flashes against a program like indiana who's given up dominant flashes to everybody it seems on the ground this season I mean, it's two thirds of the way through, and the schedule's only going to get tougher in the matter of defense. So, I think at this at stage, we just say everything we envisioned in August, leave it in August, and let's buckle up and figure out what they've got for November. I, I talked about it on Thursday in the pregame podcast, where I said I was done with bold predictions when it came to the Penn State offense, and I think the the running game specifically. And we needed to see them prove it, and they didn't really go out and, and prove it. Uh, I, I do think that Katron Allen deserves a lot of credit. I, I think that when 
you look at what he was last year and, and what he's been when he's gotten some good run this year, I think it's pretty close to the same running back. I, I think that there is a little bit, I think they, this that probably goes back to the offensive line a little bit, maybe. Uh, but with Singleton, it is pretty, it is pretty stark what he was last year, what he was able to do um, versus what we're seeing from him this year. Uh, like I said, on Saturday night, I, I do think it was nice to see a little bit of spark on that 50 yard kickoff return. I think that finally seeing him out in space, um, you know, putting on, you know, putting on some moves, getting, getting the wheels going. I think that was good, but we just have not seen that. Uh, he's made the improvements as a receiver. Um, I think that that is a, a big development for him in terms of adding to his game. I think that a couple times on on Saturday, Drew Aller put him in some tough spots as a receiver uh, on, on some of those swing passes to the outside. I think he had two catches where he was stopped for a loss, including a five-yard loss on third down where the linebacker or safety was in his lap when he caught the ball. Um, but I just think that it just hasn't been there. Who knows if it's scheme, offensive line, some with the players. It's it's a tough spot, but I, I think that as we turn towards this stretch run, this final third of the season, this final four game, regular season games, I, I think that it's not something you can necessarily count on at this point. Or from a this outside perspective, it's not something going into a game. You can't really expect Penn State to dictate the terms of the game on the ground until they actually show it. They haven't shown it yet, and when you're eight games into the season, it's kind of put that in the back seat, put that in the rearview mirror. If it comes up again, great. It'd be nice to see. I mean, if they can come out and do that against Michigan, great. But I, I think that until we see it, we can't really expect it. Yeah, it's interesting looking at, at Nick Singleton's overall body of work here in his Big Ten career. Um, only one 100-yard game. Uh, kind of surprising to me. I just was going through last year's, and obviously last year, much different looking player, but 11 carries, 122 yards against Maryland last season, going to the conference player of the year, obviously splitting a ton of reps and starts with Catron Allen. You go back to what he did against Auburn in Ohio last year in September, 10 carries for 179 yards against the Bobcats, 10 carries for 124 yards against the Tigers. And that just kind of put him out there on the national stage as this is a home run threat. You know, it's, it's, it's Saquon Barkley part two. It's what, wherever this guy touches the ball, he gives you a shot. And even as you were working your way through the big 10 play and, you know, he wasn't putting up 100, 121, 120 yard games, but getting 13 to 16 carries usually per game. You look at some of his longs, you know, he, he went for 30 yards against Minnesota in the whiteout game. He went for 45 yards uh, against Maryland. He went for 26 yards at Rutgers on a day when he also returned a kickoff return for a touchdown. In the season finale last year, 78 yards on the day, but he had a 31-yard run. And what we'd always say about Saquon Barkley, there were some stat lines, Mark, you might remember, where it'd be like, Saquon Barkley had these two runs that were just sensational, and they produced 125 yards and two touchdowns. The rest of the way, he had 20 carries, for 46 yards, but right. it didn't matter what the rest of the way looked like. And that, that's what this offense seems to be missing. And then you extend it to the passing game. And let's start with the positive here. DeAndre Lambert-Smith, you've addressed it a lot, Mark. He had a bad drop early in the game. It was one of a couple third down drops that, that cost this team, but came up big, 57-yard touchdown in the final two minutes of this matchup, tiptoeing down the sideline on the bomb from Drew Aller. And he has been the guy. And we'll talk about how far and away he has been the guy in that receiver room in just a moment. But let's begin with that connection, what it might mean moving forward. Uh, in, the, in the short term, it bailed them out of having to go to overtime against a lowly Indiana Hoosier squad. 
Yeah, one other running game stat I wanted to throw yeah. out there. Um, in Big Ten games only, so five Big Ten games, uh, Nick Singleton, 3.6 yards per carry. And, uh, yeah, so he's down to 3.6. And Catron Allen is at 3.9, and they have a total of four touchdowns. Now, remember, they've played the three worst rushing defenses in the Big Ten. So three of those five games were against the worst rushing defenses in the Big Ten. So I just think that you you mentioned it. Yeah, when you're outside of conference and you look at the numbers that Penn State rolled up against Delaware and UMass, great. But to Keandre Lambert-Smith, I, I have to tell you, when he dropped that pass, I'm like, wow, this guy. But you know what a leader is? A leader is a guy who makes that mistake and then – puts it, flushes it, puts it behind him, and then when the game's on the line, comes back and makes the game-winning play. That was the most impressive play. He's had some impressive plays. But given where the Penn State offense was, you know, I didn't get the sense that Penn State was going to lose that game. I thought they would win it in overtime. But nevertheless, given where that offense was, for him to step up and make that play, that to me is Keandre Lambert-Smith emerging as a leader. And that's what one of those things I think we've been waiting for kind of all season. They've talked about him being a leader, but, you know, we, we've seen in practice early, you know, there were, there were some some things where there, there wasn't maybe the best body language. Uh, you know, we, we've seen in games where maybe he didn't step up in some of the some some of the, some in, in, in key spots. But for this guy to step up in that game when Harrison Wallace is out, you know, we don't know for how long, but it looks like it's significant. And to do that, I don't care who the opponent was. That was a clutch situation. And other than that one uh, drop ball, uh, which, again, was difficult, but he put it behind him, stepped up as a leader, and came through. And I really wonder, could that be the sort of play that allows everybody to take a deep breath? Okay, they finally got it going. I don't care what they're saying. You know, James could talk all he wants, and that it's it's his prerogative, and, and he's got to worry about his team and, and, mm-hmm. and their mental state. But we don't. I mean, we can talk about things the way we want to talk about them. And you could say you called eight eight plays that could have been deep shots every single game, whatever. The fact of the matter is it hadn't worked since the first drive of the season. And I think the fact that it did work in a clutch situation not only shows that for, for Lambert Smith, the leadership, for Aller making the play – just, but just for the team in general, maybe that was just a weight lifted off their shoulders. We'll see. We'll get a better feel for that this week. But that's the sense I kind of got, just a, 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 a kind of a, a relief. And I, I think that was a big thing. And it's almost the same way that, you know, again, to circle back to the running game, I just wonder if they break one or two, if it's not going to be, again, okay, you can do it. You know, we can get this thing done. But for the time being, you know, we're still waiting on a rushing game. But for the passing game, I thought that was really big. And I also thought, you know, clearly, I'm sure you guys talked about this after the game, for Aller to have that mistake, you know, I think it's a little bit crazy to say that it was a good thing because, no, throwing an interception is never a good thing. But the way he reacted was a good thing. Again, difficult situation, player steps up. That's what clutch play is. That's what leadership is. You are never going to go through a season without making errors whether you're Keandre Lambert-Smith dropping a pass, whether the offensive line missing a block, whether you're Drew Aller throwing an interception. But if you're able to rebound after you make those mistakes, that's the sign of a leader and a good player. All right. Upon further review, it's even dicier at receiver than I'm, I'm, we made it seem in the post-game podcast, folks. Um, first off, Keandre Lambert-Smith already at career highs for catches in a season. He's got 43 
for previous high was 34 back in 2021. 550 yards on the season, career high, four touchdowns. That ties a career high, averaging about 13 yards per catch, which is a pretty high number considering the way this passing offense has attacked downfield. Um, so let's start off there. Keandre Lambert-Smith has done what he needs to do for this offense. He has done, uh, he has fulfilled his expectations, I think, in a lot of ways. Is he a number one receiver on every single team in the Big Ten? No. But is he the number one receiver that you need right now for this roster? Yes. So we'll give him credit. He's gotten a lot of targets. But it's been so skewed, guys. I mean, he has been treated like you look at the the, the targets rate and he has been treated like he's been a Marvin Harrison uh, uh, Jr. kind of type. Uh, 64 targets on the season. Next up on this team, right around 30 targets is Theo Johnson. Any guess right now uh, who the next up at wide receiver is? Daniel, Mark? That was Harrison Wallace, right? Way down. He's he's been surpassed. It's now oh. Dante Cephas has skyrocketed wow. with 22 targets through a, uh, eight games on the season now. So that's next. Uh, yeah, uh, he was uh, three behind Harrison Wallace, I believe, going into the uh, going into this game. Harrison Wallace saw a target, uh, unfortunately, was not able to reel in on third down, and even worse than that, he exited the game after that, came back in a sling. And so here's where we we're at wide receiver. Uh, we we got to the point where it was. 58 minutes into this matchup before Drew Alleron corks that ball and sends it deep to Keandre Lambert-Smith. And at that stage, at wide receiver, your production is five catches for 39 yards for Keandre Lambert-Smith, two catches for 15 yards for Dante Cephas against the two and five Indiana Hoosiers um, at home. And, and that's where you were in terms of receiver production. And who was out there who was playing? Well, Harrison Wallace wasn't. He was sidelined for most of the matchup. Again, that injury was very early. Uh, so you saw Malik McLean resurface. He played 24 total offensive snaps in the preceding four contests after starting way back September 16th against Illinois. And in that start, you may remember, he had drop issues. He had a couple catches. He had six targets on the day. It was a team high. He had not been targeted since. He played 60 snaps on Saturday against Indiana. He was targeted once on that long ball that he couldn't quite catch up to. That was it in terms of his day. We did not see any of Liam Clifford, Omari Evans, and Caden Saunders, according to the game snaps uh, produced by Pro Football Focus. They did not have any offensive work. That's pretty stark for Liam Clifford. He was right around 20 snaps at least every single week leading up to this game. You know, Caden Saunders finished up uh, and did nice for himself in that final possession in Columbus, you know, provided some kind of spark perhaps. And then Amari Evans, who's just been a mystery man, one catch for four yards on the season. It was a touchdown against Delaware. Amari Evans, who was a big, buzzy kind of name coming out of spring game, coming out of the blue-white matchup. His last reception from Drew Aller in a game, 2022. All right, there's it all on the plate. I'm passing it over across the table to Daniel Gallen. What are we going to do next? What are we going to see next from Marcus Hagan's receiver room? I do not know, <laughs> but no, I, I think that, that the moving forward, I, I think that Penn State really has to decide who they want to roll with um, it, and get those guys prepared, whether that means really working Liam Clifford or Caden Saunders or even Omari Evans, you know, giving the extra time to get those guys ready so that they can get onto the field. I mean, I, I think that yeah, I like Malik McLean. We had a good conversation with him earlier this year. I thought he was very solid in that West Virginia game. Um, but having him out there, it's just I, I don't think that he's someone that opposing defenses need to worry about. I mean, he didn't take an offensive snap against Ohio State. He hadn't had a catch since that Illinois game. Uh, he was pretty much a, a non-factor for these past four games. And then you're throwing him out there for 
for 61 snaps. Um, and he only gets targeted once on that deep ball. Um, I mean, I, I think that you need to figure out who you can get production from and how you can get it. Um, there's also a, a ripple effect where if Harrison Wallace uh, misses extended time, what does that do to Keandre Lambert Smith's role? Uh, because we saw him working in the slot when you had both Cephas and Wallace out there and then both Cephas and McLean. Um, you know, if you don't feel comfortable with McLean out there or you want to get something more, do you move Keandre Lambert Smith back to the outside exclusively and try to get Liam Clifford or Caden Saunders involved in the slot? I, I think that you have some moving pieces in there right now, depending on how much time Harrison Wallace could miss if he misses any time. It's just uh, it's just a tough spot because there's really not much that you can hang your hat on with some of these players when when you look down the depth chart. Um, you look at Dante Zephus and he's been, I guess, kind of solid this year. You haven't gotten what I think a lot of people thought you would get out of him uh, with making the, the jump up from Kent State. Then you go to Malik McLean and the West Virginia game was a long time ago. Caden Saunders, his production came in what was essentially garbage time uh, when when an Ohio State defense kind of you know, took its foot off the gas a little bit. Uh, Liam Clifford hasn't had a highlight that sticks in my head since maybe the Illinois game. He had that long catch down the sideline. I, I think that was it. And then Omari Evans has been invisible this year. So it's you look at these guys and there's not necessarily something in their track record or their resume where you can say, okay, we're going to bump him up. We're going to ride with him and, and see what we have. Um, it's just a very, very tough spot. I think that we're going to see a lot more. I mean, we've already seen a lot of Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren, but I think those guys become even more important as you move forward and try to get this passing game going. But I, I just think the wide receiver picture right now, it's just yeah, the, there's no real clarity there. And I think that – James Franklin said last year he thought that they had a two deep across the board. That didn't come to fruition. Uh, I think this year there was the expectation that they could do that. Um, that hasn't happened. Um, I guess the one guy I missed going through, Malik Mega, uh, he got his first Big Ten offensive snaps of the season, and, and he was kind of the, the tap guy for Malik McLean. So I think that you know, Marcus Higgins, Mike Yersich, James Franklin, they have, you know, they need to really put together a plan figure out how to get these guys in the situations where you know they don't all need to be catching 57 yard touchdown passes like Keandre Lambert Smith, but you need to put these players in positions where they can move the chains, get first downs, just give them an opportunity uh, to make some plays. And maybe with some of these guys like Liam Clifford, Kane Saunders, Omari Evans, maybe they just need a chance to maybe show what they can do. But I'm gonna, it's going to be really curious to see what, what this passing game looks like when we get to Saturday. It's just got to be disheartening in, in a game where you're, you're getting a hundred total reps to your two transfer pickups, the veterans at receiver um, and, and collectively two catches for 15 yards. Uh, you know, nothing in the stat sheet from Malik McLean. And I was a little surprised Dante Sivas actually played about 20 snaps fewer than Malik McLean in this matchup, but he was announced as a starter before the game. Of course, as usual, they started two tight ends, but we did see Cephas out there involved a, a bit early, even when Harrison Wallace uh, was available. But here's the deal. I mean, Malik McLean had uh, five catches. Uh, what is it? I'm just going to double check this. He had four catches for 58 yards in that season opener against West Virginia. And we're thinking, OK, this this might be this might be something here. Since that game, he's got two catches for 13 yards. And, and as I said, just not really involved on the offense. 
Uh, Malik Mega, as you laid out there, Big Ten offensive debut. He's been a special teams standout for them, but he has just not come together as a receiver. He played just a handful of snaps, and nobody outside of Keandre Lambert-Smith who was available in this matchup is averaging more than 20 yards per game uh, as a receiver. I mean, you, you can uh, – and that's excluding the tight end group, of course, but you go down to Harrison Wallace, and I'll take out four games for Wallace and just, just factor his stats into four games. We can factor out the game that he played only half of it. We can factor out the two games that he missed. We won't include the game that he even played, you know, a bit of on Saturday, just the four games where he was a starter and he played the entire way. Even in those four games, he's averaging four catches for 40 yards without a touchdown. And, you know, that's supposed to be your cemented co-starter with Keandre Lambert-Smith in this position. So you know, even when they've had those two guys available at the top of this thing, it hasn't been all that pretty. So, so many questions just about the way they have, you know, you want to talk about keeping keeping the egos right and keeping the mentality right. It's kind of a question I have right now for this particular unit. The wide receiver position is so ego-driven, a lot like a cornerback. Uh, it, it's a ne it's necessary. I mean, it's, it bothers some people when you hear some of the things out of receiver's mouth or cornerback's mouth, but you got to live that way because of the way it's the nature of the position. And I just wonder right now when you're giving guys late reps or you're pulling them to the sideline and not playing them at all, I think there's probably a transparent messaging during the practice week of why guys are playing and why guys aren't playing but it's been so week to week mark and i think these receivers are looking around and you're like well what has that guy done i mean why, why is he getting to go again what has he done with his opportunities because outside of country lambert smith again two-thirds of the way through the season nobody's averaging more than 20 receiving yards in a game yeah and so what we hear from the coaching staff from james franklin is well you know you guys don't see practice which is which is very accurate and you know there could be a lot of different things that that are in play. They could run the the route slightly wrong. You know they could not block. They could do this. They could do that. I do know this. I would go back to what you said, Daniel. We can talk about it being. And I also wanted to say when I was sneering before when uh, Daniel was talking about his prediction last week, I was doing that because I didn't pay attention to his uh, what, what he was saying, and I actually said that they would have two backs rush for over 100 yards. So I'm sorry. I wanted For anybody who was thinking I was just mocking Daniel, I was actually mocking myself. But how about this? In that Ohio State game, I get that, that Penn State was going to come back and win that game. But Ohio State still had its starters out on the field late in the game defensively, and yes, they were playing a little bit loose, but Caden Saunders did some nice things. And I would take that version of the Ohio State defense, even the one that's playing soft against almost every other defense they've played all year, and say this kid went into a game, made a couple of nice plays, obviously has some sort of rapport with, with, with Aller. Why not give him a shot at least? I mean, again, I, I'm not suggesting that I see everything that goes on in practice. But at some point, doesn't it come down to not what you're doing in practice, but what you're able to do in, in an actual game on the road in a big-time environment? That, those, that crowd was still going nuts. And I just I would love to see them give that kid an opportunity. Uh, and, and I'm just not sure why, when you look at the reps other people are getting, why it hasn't come. I think when he's been out there returning punts, yeah, I mean, he kind of lost that job, but understandably so. I mean, hmm. you know, <laughs> a guy comes in and does what Hardy did. I don't think that was any knock on Caden Saunders whatsoever. But outside of maybe one one play or one or two plays as a punt return guy, I thought he was fine underneath the bright lights. So I wouldn't mind seeing them give him a shot. I'm not saying he's the answer, but I'm saying if, if, if Harrison Walsh is, is going to be out for an extended period of time, and even if he isn't, you know, knock on wood, I hope he's okay. But nobody has shown that they 
in a game that they could get the job done consistently. And this guy did it in, you know, against a, a tough opponent late in the game and actually scored a touchdown. So I, I would give him an opportunity. It feels like the Nittany Lions really need something from Kane Saunders in his career. And, 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 and they need him to be a guy. And I think he entered this season in a really good spot mentally. Um, and he talked about it. Uh, he's, he's vocalized it. So of his teammates and the coaches physically, he's in a much better place than he was last year, former top, top 100 prospect, just a second year on campus. But I just wonder, you know, he sees what Daquan Hardy did. I think he understands why he's not the guy trotting yeah. out there for punt returns right now. But in his mind, I mean, again, what's going on in the practice field? Maybe he understands why he's not playing. But for, from our point of view, right now you've got five second-year receivers on this roster that you've invested scholarships in. Four of them were playing receiver for you last year under a different position coach. One of them was playing cornerback. Christian Driver made the move a long time ago, though, now. He's been in this receiver room for just about a full year. So you look through this, and, and these guys have collectively combined now for seven catches on the season. Um, and it's just it's five of them belong to Caden Saunders. You know, it just feels like Anthony Ivy and Tyler Johnson are going to be scout team guys the rest of the way here. That that's really where we've seen them. Um, Omari Evans, for whatever reason, has been a non-factor. Christian Drivers, you know, down the depth chart at slot, making that transition from cornerback. And Carmelo Taylor, who came in from the freshman class this year, is, is a scout team guy too. So that's a lot of young receivers and 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 in a room that needs answers. And you're almost just kind of crossing a few of them off the list de facto because we haven't been seeing them practice with the varsity squad so you're running out of names and Caden Saunders is the one that's kind of you know shown up and, and proven something to you here in 2023 and so to see him tucked away there when you're searching and you know again there's a lot that goes on in team facilities Monday through Saturday and Sunday through Saturday um, but yeah, what we saw out there for for those four quarters a little startling in terms of who was involved and for how much and then who was not involved at all um, so we'll keep tabs on that. We, we've covered a lot here offensively. Tyler, one other thing on Caden, yeah. if I could. Sure. You know, the, the other thing I would say about him is you go to Ohio State, you have your heart ripped out, okay? And you have a guy who has not played, has not been in front of the media, barely, you know, very, very seldom. You know, the opportunities we've had, he's been great. And you bring him into the media room afterward to, to address us? I mean, come on, man. I mean, if you're going to put that kind of pressure on him, and I'm serious about that. I mean, that was a difficult thing. You know, we saw the emotion that were that was coming out of players after that game, guys who have played a lot of football. You know, you're, you're putting that sort of burden on that kid, and then you don't give him a chance to play, you know, the next week. I mean, I'm just like, uh, to me, I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. And again, I, I'm not at practice. I don't know everything that goes on, but I saw what that kid did in that Ohio State game. And I saw the way he handled himself after that Ohio State game, and I think there's something to be said for that. I mean, for him to come in there and agree to do it, number one, when there were a lot of leaders on this team who didn't show their faces. Now, I give credit to the guys who did. You know, a lot of their real, 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 real leaders were in there answering the tough questions. But to throw him out there, I just think, come on, man. you Give this guy a little bit of an opportunity. I do want to know, cool moment for him before the game, got to run the American flag out uh, to his father, who's a longtime service for our country. Got to engage with his dad a bit during the recruiting process. Great guy. Um, I think it was Devon Ellis had that moment last year with his dad, and, and he talked about the sacrifices. So beyond the box score and beyond some of the frustrations here at receiver, very cool for the Saunders family uh, at Beaver Stadium early before the matchup. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. 
From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, guys, I think we've vented a, a bit about this offense. It probably had to happen. Our readers our, our readers, and listeners and subscribers would not have let us get away with it any other way. But the fact of the matter is they are 7-1, and one, as we kept circling back to uh, on the podcast. They do enter November kind of in the situation that we anticipated they would be when we all sat down and, and, and forecast this season. Before we were swayed into picking them to beat the Buckeyes in Columbus, all three of us, and what it felt like the entire beat, jumped on board and picked Penn State to win that game, which, of course, they did not. We all thought they would lose that game, then beat Michigan, and then it would all have to get sorted out at the end by the NCAA committee with 11 wins and one loss, and, and, and whoever gets to the Big Ten title game and all that jazz. Well, Ohio State is still unbeaten. Michigan's still unbeaten. Ohio State survived a bit of a scare on Saturday against Wisconsin. And, uh, Mark, just going back to you here, what do you think about Penn State entering November – uh, and 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 kind of your concerns and balancing them against the potential of what this team still has. Yeah, I'm thinking the key may have been that Michigan spy, <laughs> alleged Michigan spy, who left the UMass game at halftime. He probably <laughs> missed a lot of really good signals that 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 could have. So I, I may be edging towards Penn State in that game just because that spy should have stayed a little bit. No, in all seriousness, listen, I. I Yes, this team is seven and one, right? And we're definitely nitpicking, but that's because I think this team deservedly, when you look at the talent on the team, the ex this is what the expectations are. This is what you want if you're James Franklin, right? You you want high expectations, and I think the fact that you lose the game that everybody thought this was the year you're going to be able to get Ohio state and, and and you can't pull it off when you're right there and you have the opportunity to do it. And then you come back from that and you just, you know, how are they going to bounce back? It, it, and, and I think a lot of us expect that they were going to be, you know, have a little bounce in their step and they didn't, I mean, they ended up having to survive a game against a not very good team. So where does that put them going into uh, November? I mean, it's looking like a 10 and two team, isn't it? I mean, you look at the schedule that remains and, you know, with the way Maryland's struggling with Rutgers playing well, but we know they've had issues playing here in Happy Valley. And then, you know, you, you, you look at the way everything else plays out and I just don't know. I, I mean, 
Michigan State. I think Penn State's going to be fine there. So, I mean, it's it's shaping up as 10-2. and two. I don't know how anybody is going to be able to pick unless we see something unbelievable in the next week. And unless everything that's going on at Michigan just, you know, that program implodes or whatever, but I don't think that's going to happen. They've been dealing with with all sorts of crap for the last couple of years. And they've been able to navigate their way through it. So I just I just don't know. Looking ahead, it all boils down to one game, right? And I don't care. We don't have to. We're not one and zero. I mean, we can look at it. We can look as far ahead as we want, but it's going to boil down to what? If they're able to win this the Michigan game, it's going to look to Penn State fans as if it was a very successful season. You know, if they're not, it's going to be okay. This is what Penn State is. So ten and two, and 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 not able to to get over that hump in the last year of divisional play. So I know that's that sounds kind of stark, but listen, again, this team's seven and one, four and one. That that is great, but expectations have been raised, and if you want to be a team that aspires to play for Big Ten titles in 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 the final year in the college football playoff of four teams, if you want to be that team then you have to deal with negativity when you're not playing as well as people think you should be. Yeah, and I know it's a difficult – I mean, it, it, clearly they carried that Ohio State loss in a significant way for much of last week and really into the, the matchup against Indiana. Um, and, and I'd imagine a lot of the outside noise and a lot of the outside doubt and, and going from a team that was being you know picked by everybody and lit, hoisted on everybody's shoulders to all of a sudden – here we go again. James Franklin can't win the big game. This team's, you know, they're they're number three in the Big Ten again. Hearing all that kind of stuff creep back up, it hurts. But you know, when we go into that Rose Bowl postgame access and Pasadena, when was that? January second, late at night, and everyone who wants to, everyone who's going to talk about 2023 is talking to us about college football playoff aspirations. Well, everyone knows what it takes to get to the college football playoff. Now, if you're laying out that blueprint for us last January, and I think they had every right to do so, finishing with 11 wins, throttling uh, Utah in, in the Rose Bowl and bringing back a bunch of talent, and I still feel like, you know, we'll see where Michigan's at. Two weeks is a long time for things to unfold. This is a, a kind of an unprecedented situation, so I'm curious where they'll be at. But first, I want to see where Penn State's at in College Park in, against Maryland this Saturday because they've got to look better than they have. And, and Daniel, heading into this matchup, um, I think the question that we all want to see is, does this defense look elite again? Because that solves a lot of maybe the concerns that you carry out of this game against Indiana. Yes, the offense has these red flags that have been waving for a few weeks now. There's no doubt about that. But the defense has shown nary a red flag in about a year's worth of, of game action. So does this chalk up as a, a lapsy kind of game after a rough week of maybe not as focused game prep as you wanted? Or is there a bit of carryover here, which we've seen in some past years under a different defensive coordinator, where when things got rocky in November, all of a sudden the defense wasn't as buttoned up as we saw through the first couple months? I think Saturday is going to be an interesting test, especially when you look at that Penn State's lapses were through the air <clears throat> against Indiana. I mean, I was not expecting Brendan Soresby to have a, a good game with his arm at all. And he then, wasn't. He wasn't expecting <laughs> to have a good game. What are you talking about? Um, and, and then you turn around and you have and you have Talia Tungavailoa coming up next. And Caden Prather, a name familiar to a lot of Penn State fans, is a solid wide receiver. Jay Sean Jones, Ty Felton. They have some playmakers on the outside that can burn you in a similar way to how you got burned against Indiana. Um, but I think overall... I'm not really worried about this defense. 
I'm, I'm not going to say that they were due for a shaky performance because I think that that's a little unfair to them. But when you're kind of when you're playing at that level for so long, even if you take the slightest step back, it's going to show up in a big way, uh, especially say what you want about Indiana. But it's still a, a Big Ten program. There are still some, you know, there are coaches that know what they're doing, some players who know what they're doing. Um and Penn State just kind of got burned on that. I think you look at those two long touchdowns and it just looks like you could chalk it up to miscommunication, just lapses in, in some very tough spots. I don't think it was anything systemic there. I do want to go back and re-examine the, the drive that made it a 24-21 game in the second half because I, I think I said after the game that that was probably the Penn State defense's worst drive of the year in terms yeah. of how Indiana was able to keep the ball moving. Uh, and cut that down to a one score game. But I just don't think I'm, I'm worried about this, uh, this defense. I, I think you have some interesting health things to keep an eye on this week with Amin Vanover and with chop Robinson. We saw how big chop Robinson was last year um, in that game against Maryland. And I think that even though Maryland might be a little bit improved up front, or they've tried to address that, I think that it's a team that can be had in the trenches just because of the, some of the transfer losses they've had and just how they're just not quite as deep of a program as some of these other big 10 teams. Um, but I, I think this defense is, is still in a good spot. I mean, I, I still think it's a, um, you know, one of the nation's best. And when you talk about concerns going into this final third, I don't think the defense would be in the top like three, maybe. <laughs> so I, I think that things are, are still good for Manny Diaz and company. The few personnel trends that we've seen now that the defense has had to go full wire games on back-to-back -back Saturdays, uh, several guys have scaled back. Guys that maybe we thought we'd see more of on a consistent game-to-game -game basis. Major gap at safety now. It's Jalen Rees and, and K.J. Winston show. There's a long time for us. I think we put in our depth chart, our projected depth chart at lines 24-7. We put that big or in between these guys, even through the first few matchups. That or has disappeared in a big way. It's KJ Winston, it's Jalen Reed. I think largely they've delivered. They've shown why they earned those jobs. But Keaton Ellis, you know, senior captain, a guy who came back for a fifth year here. Uh, you know, kind of a, a tough situation from the outside looking in. But he, everything he's, every interaction we've had with him seems like he is doing everything he can to take the advantage of this season, and he's enjoying it. But you know, only playing about a dozen snaps, and then Zaki Wheatley. According to these pro football focus snaps, he did not get on uh, back on the field after being involved in that 90 yard touchdown uh, for for uh, Indiana, that backbreaker on, on, on one throw there. So uh, some things there at safety happening. And then Cam Miller at cornerback taking a major backseat. It's been the Daquan Hardy uh, you know, joining that, that the starting duo. And, and that really all three of those guys have been the starters. Uh, so those guys taking a step back and then Dom DeLuca. Also, a guy that we saw so involved over and over again, making key plays. He had a goal line hit against Ohio State, but he was not very involved in Columbus. Same deal against Indiana, actually under 10 snaps on the defensive side of the football there. So some things happening as Manny Diaz tightening up, maybe trying to push some different buttons, utilizing guys. Can he push a different button here for number 11? I'm going to throw this to you, Mark Brennan, because I'm thinking about last year where we were you know, crossing that bridge from October to November and, and wondering where, how Penn State was going to finish out. We were all learning a lot about Abdul Carter. By then, he had won outright that will job. That moved Curtis Jacobs over to Sam. That sent Jonathan Sutherland to the bench. That was the linebacker unit the rest of the way, of course. And, you know, 10 tackles for loss, six and a half sacks, very splashy finish to the season. Uh, he, he was an All-American in that freshman class. And here we are now through eight games. 
we've already noted several times that the stats are really hard to read for this defense. You can you can't go by the box score. But now that they've gone through two big time, you know, wire to wire games and they have eight games under their belt, two tackles for loss, one sack for Abdul Carter at this stage of the season, Mark. And I'll be honest, when we get through these games, I kind of got a I find myself looking back through the box score to remind myself what Abdul Carter has done. There's not a lot of moments where we're turning to each other in the press box and saying, there goes number 11. That's what I thought this year might be like, because that's what it was a few years ago with the previous number 11 when he made his jump from a freshman All-American to an outright All-American as a sophomore. That's a big ask for anybody. But right now, I think it's fair to wonder if, if Abdul Carter's even going to get that All-Big Ten nod if things don't really ramp up here during the final month of the regular season. Yeah, I don't really think it was an issue until the last couple of weeks. And, and I don't even know that I would say that it was an issue against – I think in terms of the way that the defense is playing, I don't look at that um, Indiana game and think Abdul Carter was was the issue. I think there were other problems there with your secondary and some blitzes that got screwed up a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would think down the stretch, especially if Chop Robinson is limited. I know they don't play the same position, but they're they're those dynamic athletes who you know can make plays in the backfield, make plays you know really anywhere on the field. So. I think Abdul stepping up, and we, we've seen, right, the last couple games where we anticipated that he and Curtis Jacobs were both going to see significantly more snaps, and they have. You know, the bottom line is how well the defense plays as a, as a unit, but I would be, uh, yeah, I, I'm as surprised as you are that we haven't seen more splash plays out of Abdul Carter, and I think that's going to be important for him to put together as this season winds down, and it's going to be especially important for him to put that game together, you know, not just this week, but then the following week when Michigan comes to town. It is another game week. We're going to be back in the press conference setting with James Franklin back in Beaver Stadium on Tuesday. You'll have our coverage of that. We'll have a lot of player conversations as well. We'll have another member of the staff available uh, for interview. So plenty coming to Lions247.com. A lot of content here to the podcast. But one thing we'll be keeping an eye on, it feels like more than any other preceding week in the season, is the injury status of this roster because there's a few things to get to. Daniel, I'm going to go through the, the list of, of guys we saw exit. And if I'm missing any, add to it. I'm going to ask you which one you feel like is the focal point for this matchup against Maryland in terms of the one you'll be focused on more. Uh, Amin Vanover, listed as questionable pregame against Indiana. We saw him uh, out there, but observing pregame work, did not play. Chop Robinson, we did not see him on the sideline. Uh, we did not see him at practice last week after exiting early against Ohio State. We've heard from James Franklin sooner rather than later, but that's about it. Uh, and Harrison Wallace, as mentioned, left in the first quarter, started at wide receiver again, came back on the sideline wearing a sling on his right arm. Caden Wallace, your starting right tackle. Uh, he left early in this matchup as well. Kind of uh, uh, unspecified physical discomfort, basically slow to get off the field. He never re-entered. It was Drew Shelton, the, the sophomore, the rest of the way at right tackle. And then much later in this matchup, Venga Ioane, who got to start again at left guard, but was part of a rotation with Salim Wormley and J.B. Nelson. Also, one of those things hard to tell, slow to get out of the game did not check back in. And when the team had crunch time possessions, it was J.B. Nelson and Salim Wormley in those guard spots. So if I missed one, Daniel, let our listeners know if I didn't, which one of these stands out to you heading into this game week? I think you got all of them. So okay. <laughs> I know, and it gets a little confusing when you've got two Wallaces uh, yes. in, in there as well. But I think the one that I'm probably watching the closest, I think it's Caden Wallace. He's just been very, very solid at that right tackle spot we saw the rotation earlier this year with drew Shelton. 
that disappeared. Aiden Wallace told us last week that he thought that he was playing his his best football. You know, that gets backed up by whatever you want to say about PFF grades. Uh, I don't take them as gospel, but I think it's a good data point. And he was grading out well that out well there. And then just even from our amateur eye test in the press box, there weren't too many moments this year where you kind of went like, oh, like Caden Wallace, like it, it didn't really pop up. Um, so I, I think that when you talk about that thinning depth on the offensive line and how quickly depth can disappear, I, I think that you look at at Caden Wallace as, as the one that that stands out to me. I, I thought that I felt like Drew Shelton did a solid job out there when, when he came in to replace. We know that he's been working really hard at, at learning and pinning down that right tackle spot. But I think that Caden Wallace has just been very, very reliable this year, opposite Olu Fashionu. And I think that when you take away those those bookend tackles, it can raise some questions a little bit. You know, We saw Indiana get some pressure straight up the gut uh, on Drew Aller. Uh, and if you add maybe you know a little less consistency on the edge, uh, it can it can change things a little bit. So I, I think there are some there's a lot of concern. I think with you look at losing that many guys over the course of a game, but I think that when we're back out there on Wednesday, I think the first guy I'll probably looking be looking for after Chop Robinson is Caden Wallace. Yeah, the tackles have been the strength of this offensive line to Caden Wallace's credit. We knew one side of that equation would be his strength, but Caden Wallace has really stabilized himself. Eight sacks surrendered through seven games. They gave up three sacks against Indiana on Saturday. And the Hoosiers are not known as a menacing defense at all. Uh, but but when you look at, at, at the execution, just seems to be lacking a bit on the interior of this. So I, I don't want to say they're getting physically dominated and driven into the backfield, which is kind of more of an issue of felt like in 2021 where it was just just getting mauled inside. But it just seems like there's missed assignments. And again, really hard to dissect this kind of stuff when you don't have the inside knowledge of how plays are supposed to be executed. But Mark, it just seems whether it's the lack of Juice Scruggs there, he was such a linchpin, linchpin kind of player for them last year through every single game. Uh, but Hunter Norzad played a lot of football for you at guard. He's now being asked to play at center. You've had you know, three or four different plans at left guard over the course of the last two or three months. Um, and, and I think Salim Wormley is who he is. He's, he's a good guard. I don't think he's going to be a great guard. He's in year five here. Um, what do you think about the offensive line? This is another area that I think people – trying to wrap their minds around expectations versus reality. Yeah, I think we may have underestimated, I know I did, the loss of Juice Scruggs. I mean, not just in terms of what he's able to do physically, but in terms of all the line calls and that sort of thing. I think if you looked at that Indiana game and when you saw some of the issues that they were having, whether it was the run game or the passing game, it was when Indiana was using different stunts or twists or blitzes. And it just didn't seem like there were communication. You would get guys running free into gaps, which – you know, again, at this point of the season, we're pretty far into the season for for that caliber of defense to be able to be pulling that caliber of stuff against a, an offensive line, you know, like Penn State. So, yeah, I think that the, the could, could it part of it be that there has been some rotating personnel in there? Uh, you know, maybe that's part of it. You know, we thought that was going to be their strength is that they were going to be able to, you know, use maybe um, uh, Shelton as an extra tackle. I know that's not – that's the, the outside. But then, you know, have multiple players playing in those guard spots, which they did in that game. But I wonder if there is something that's impacting communication there because I agree with you. I don't think they're getting just outright physically dominated. It just doesn't look like there's that communication there. And I wonder, 
you know, that's something that Juice Scruggs, he was a guy who had to adapt to that and get better at it, but I thought he really did. And I thought it, it kind of showed in where he went in the NFL draft. And nobody's questioning Hunter Norzad's uh, intelligence. He's obviously smarter than all of us because he went to an Ivy League school and was, you know, re, you know. But but there's a difference between that and then taking over that center position. And I just wonder, uh, you know, how much the lack of communication has been impacting them, and how much, as much as we talk about the the, the stats of the running backs, and how much that has been made had an impact on the running game, especially. And we heard, if I, if I recall correctly, the bumps and bruises phrase applied to Hunter Norzad a, a while ago, like early September, maybe it was. Um, and, and, and it's just, you know, you don't know how much of that stuff develops. But people will tell you, physically, Nor, uh, Norzad, J.B. Nelson, of course, and, and then Venga Ioana. I mean, these are some of the most imposing figures on the offensive line. So it certainly doesn't seem like a mano imano situation of, of letting them down. But uh, again, it's starting to get late early in the season to figure these things out uh, if you want to make a real run at this thing a, a, in November. Uh, Daniel, uh, we'll jump over to hoops now, uh, as promised at the top of this podcast. You took a, a nice long look at the Nittany Lions, and I think it's very necessary. I mean, you want to talk about hitting the reset button. Imagine if we went out to the spring game and, and we were working with like 80 new scholarship guys on the Nittany Lions football roster. That's what this felt like for you. I'm sure Mark want to hear from you in a second on this. Cause I know you, you were, you were monitoring this matchup as well, but yeah. talk about what took place Friday. It wasn't an official matchup of sorts, but what this meant to the Nittany Lions and what you took away from it. Penn state went out to Robert Morris to play in an exhibition game. Uh, it was for a good cause to benefit coaches versus cancer and the American cancer society. Uh, Robert Morris's director of basketball operations, Matthew Sweet, uh, has been battling cancer for the past couple of years. So um, they were playing for him. There's a nice little pregame ceremony. And Mike Rhodes, Penn State coach, was uh, after the game, you know, talked about how great it was to, to be able to be there. But the on-court part of it, I thought it was a really, really good experience for Penn State. I mean, the Robert Morris gym, it's tiny. Uh, it was an exhibition game, but it had the feel of a non-conference game, um, you know, or had the feel of a, a legit road game. You know, the crowd that was there was really into it. Uh, there were a bunch of 12-year-olds behind where we were sitting on press row uh, who were screaming their heads off the entire game. Um, and it was kind of the, the full game production. Uh, even though it was an exhibition, you had the, the lights going out for warm-ups, the pregame hype video. You know, all the bells and whistles that come with a regular season game. So I think it was really good for Penn State to be in that environment. Um, and we got to see them try some different things uh, that we you know might not see over the course of the year. Uh, Mike Rhodes talked about how uh, they gave up too many three-point attempts to Robert Morris. Robert Morris was 9 of 26 uh, from deep, and that was partly because they went small. And Mike Rhodes didn't necessarily want to go small because Penn State didn't have Puff Johnson or Leo O'Boyle. So they kept one of their bigs, uh, Kudus Wahab, Favor Ira, or Demetrius Lilly in the game the entire time. Uh, so those guys got a lot of run, a lot of experience, especially going up against a, a smaller team and, and trying to work some mismatches there. You know, we saw what Ace Baldwin can mean to this team. Um, you know, the point guard transfer from VCU, what he's capable of doing, uh, and how he'll run the team. Got to see how he might mesh with Kanye Clary. We got to see a look at some of the rotations. It was just kind of, it was a lot to get. Um, a lot of information, almost information overload at times. And I think it came in 
just a, a really good environment. You hear every year about the secret scrimmages that these teams play. Uh, Micah Shrewsbury always liked to cite those over the course of the season in terms of things that they saw. But that's kind of a, a really controlled environment. Sometimes you're working on situational things. Sometimes you're working on something else. I mean, this was just a, a straight up game, uh, you know, 10 days or eight days, whatever it is before your opening uh, your season against Delaware State. So I thought that we learned a lot. Um, I had a VIP takeaways piece up on Friday night um, on Lions 247. And then Monday morning, I had more of a kind of just game story, you know, reaction from Mike Rhodes and, and some of the players on what we saw. Um, it's it's going to be interesting. I, I think maybe the biggest takeaway uh, was the play of Kudus Wahab. He's a fifth-year senior. He's played in the Big East and the Big Ten at Georgetown and Maryland. So he's been around the block before. First go around in the Big Ten at Maryland uh, two years ago. Didn't really go super well, but he looked how a big man should look against a team like Robert Morris, 15 and 10. Um, Penn State, we know last year, kind of struggled to get that reliable post play, have a reliable big man. Uh, they were undersized for most of the year. So I think move, spinning things forward, I think that that was kind of a, a good takeaway. Even if Wahab isn't averaging 15 and 10 in the Big Ten, um, that he showed he could be playable. He, he did what he was supposed to do against a smaller opponent. Mark, you were all over a lot of the reporting as, as Penn State, you know, pieced together this staff and then pieced together this roster. And there they were assembled, not fully yet, but but a lot of those pieces together on the court, taking on an opponent. Uh, what are your general takeaways, I guess? And, and And if you let your imagination run wild and you think of a situation where Penn State has success this year and maybe – is a kind of uh, part of that conversation come late February, early March. Why do you think that happens? I think it's all going to go to Ace Baldwin. I mean, you, if you watched him in that game, and I know it was against a lower caliber of opponent, but he is just so smooth, man. And just playing uh, completely in control. Um, you know, you look at his numbers, he had, what, 13 points, six assists, one turnover. I mean, he was just kind of cruising along, and he actually missed the end of the game with with some cramps, which I don't think was – I don't. you don't want to see anybody cramp up, but I thought the fact that it gave some of the other players an opportunity to play in a tight situation, a relatively tight situation, was actually a good thing because this guy, you could tell that he's going to be completely comfortable in tight games. I mean, he is just uh, – if, if he had a three-point shot, I mean, he would be – at a whole different level. He doesn't, and he's still going to be a really, really, really good Big Ten player. Going back to one of the guys who's returning, you know, Kanye, Kanye Clary, Ed DeCellis, the former Penn State coach, used to have a statement that a player looked like he was trying to stuff 10 pounds of potatoes into a five-pound bag. That was Kanye Clary. Kanye was like a real complimentary piece to the NCAA tournament team last year, came in and did some really good things. And he was just playing 90 miles an hour in this game and just no assists, you know, three of eight. And I'm not, that's not a cause for alarm. He just has to get used to being in a situation where he's one of the primary guys out there. And I thought one of the really good signs was late in that game. He hit like a 10 foot jumper. He calmed down, hit a 10 foot jumper at a key spot. Uh, that was really good. But I think the thing beyond those are two guys to really keep an eye on because they're going to be like the engines like two little engines that, that that drive this whole thing. But I like the the length, and not just with uh, Wahab and, and the other big guys, but their wings. I mean, they have some they're, – they're like long-armed 
you know, Zach Hicks had a nice game for them. I really think Nick Kearns is Nick Kern, the other uh, VCU transfer. He's going to be like a Swiss Army knife for them. You know, he was out there doing all sorts of good things: rebounding, assists, blocking shots, steals. And then the other, uh, not Puff Johnson, but the other. We didn't get a chance to see Puff, but I think we know what he's going to be about. I mean, he'll give you a little bit of a physical presence, but he could also shoot a little bit from the outside. But DeMarco Dunn came in, the other North Carolina transfer. Really liked what I saw. They got 25 minutes out of him. He scored eight points, completely under control. Three of four from the floor, two of two from the line. And I just think they have all of these different options. And again, as, as uh, excuse me, as Daniel said, we didn't get a chance to see Leo Boyle. We didn't get a chance to see Puff Johnson. But I think when you start putting all these names in there, you're seeing a level of depth that they didn't really have last year. Now, you know, you had some really, really good players last year that were able to drive this thing to the NCAA tournament. And that's a gigantic question for this group. I mean, I think they're, they're, it's going to be a talented team, but to think that they're going to be able to pull it all together, you know, with all these disparate parts and, and get to that level, I think may be a little bit much to ask. But, hey, when, when we saw this team when there were like three scholarship players left to where it is now, I think it's they're actually ahead of the game. So when people have an opportunity to see it, this game was on ESPN+. Plus. If you didn't have it, didn't get a chance to see it. There are some nice athletes, some nice again, not just the not just post players, but long arms and, and long bodies and ath- athleticism. And I think he has some nice things to build around. But you know, it may take a year or two to to get to that point where you're at where they were last year, uh, just because it's not an easy thing to do, obviously. And if you missed this matchup, if you didn't make it a must-see TV for yourself on Friday, Daniel Gallon has you covered with a thorough coverage, a VIP breakdown. He also has some free content up at lines247.com. And as usual, Mark and Daniel will have us uh, fully covered on Penn State basketball throughout the season. And, Daniel, let's finish here. One week from tonight. I mean, it's it's it's, it's tip-off, man. It's Delaware State. You know, who, can't, who can't get excited for that one? In the BJC against Penn State. I think we're all excited to see this Penn State team and what that rotation might like look, look like and who's playing alongside each other and how long it takes to figure things out between here and, and next Monday as you start to, to get your pregame coverage assembled and wrap your head around the team. What are your biggest questions that you think are going to determine how this thing goes in the next few months? I think that there's the there's obviously the big picture thing where it's what's the team chemistry like? How does all how do all of these things come together? Uh, but I think on the more kind of micro perspective, yeah, I am curious to see what Ace Baldwin looks like in the Big Ten. Uh, you know, there is a little bit of a jump from the A10 to the Big Ten. I've every you know, bit of confidence in him that he's going to be able to do it. I think that he's one of those players who just has that knack and that ability. Um, but I think looking at him, because he is going to be the one who drives this. He's been with Mike Rhodes for three years. He's the guy that that really knows. But then I'm really curious to see what the complementary pieces look like, who steps up. I, I like I'm really high on DeMarco Dunn. You know, Mark talked about how just kind of in control he looked. Um, he was the first guard off the bench uh, against Robert Morris. Uh, I, I just think that he's someone who, when we get to February in the March, that is a name to know in the Big Ten. I think he's really talented. I think that he'll be used differently than he was at North Carolina. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I think that he's someone else that I'm watching. But overall, I, I think the big thing that I'm really curious to find out is just what the overall style of this team looks like. We saw Zach Hicks take a lot of three-pointers. 
We know that Leo O'Boyle is going to take a lot of three-pointers. We know that they're going to want to be up-tempo, cause some chaos. Uh, I'm, I'm just really curious to see what that looks like when we get on the court uh, against Delaware State. So I, I think that there's a, a ton of storylines going into this year. I'm definitely going to try to break some down on Lions 24-7 this week uh, and maybe Monday morning uh, before we get really into game action. But it, it's going to be exciting. I, I think it'll be a fun year. And honestly, I think more than anything that this is going to be an interesting team to watch and a fun year to watch. That first year under Micah Shrewsbury at various points, it was it was tough to watch. Uh, and part of that was because Micah was doing what he needed to do in terms of putting his team in a position to win by you know playing a 51-49 game, that sort of thing. Now, I, I don't think that Penn State under Mike Rhodes is going to need to do that. I think that no matter how the results are going, uh, they're going to be a fun product to see. Uh, and I think that that, that it counts for something. Daniel Gallen, Mark Brennan, good stuff. Perspective on Penn State hoops and football, of course, here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. I'll see you both real soon. Thanks, Thanks Tyler. Good. That's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. We will get into the part, time of the season now, the time of the year where we're going to have a lot of blended coverage over at Lions247.com. It's going to be very, very uh, football heavy here, continuing on, on the podcast. We will take a look at basketball occasionally, but you'll see plenty of basketball coverage at Lions247.com, along with our recruiting content coming from Brian Doan, Tyler Calvaruso, Steve Wolfman. They all have stuff up here today here on a Monday regarding uh, Michigan visitors that are confirmed now, what folks are saying coming out of the Indiana visit when, when they came to town on to Happy Valley on Saturday. So a lot happening right now at Lions247. It's that time of the year for now stepping aside we'll be back with another podcast on tuesday coming out of a beaver stadium press conference with james franklin and some conversations with nittany lions players as they start to look forward to that maryland matchup 3 30 p.m in college park on saturday we'll talk to you real soon right here on the lions 24 7 podcast